plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Welcome inside the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, John Ledyard from over at fanragsports.com and also cover the Pittsburgh Steelers for scout.com Steel City Insider. And it is that time of the week to preview the Steelers' upcoming matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. And to do that with me, is Vikings expert Arif Hassan, who also covers the Vikings for a number of different sites, including zonecoverage.com. Arif, how are you today, and are you excited about this matchup? Seems like a pretty high-profile one for Week 2. Yeah, I think so, and I think this is kind of the the moment where, you know, if the Vikings, uh, you know, do have a lot of team quality, mm-hmm. you know, this is where they can prove themselves. I mean, everyone kind of recognizes Pittsburgh as a high-quality team. Uh, the Saints, you know, you always kind of respect their offense, but you don't really know what to make of their defense, and so... If the Vikings offense kind of wants to make its mark and introduce itself, uh, you know, to the to the world, as it were, uh, it'd, it'd be good to do it against a high profile team like the Steelers. Yeah. And I thought you 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 said that well, because it, you, you're, there is that level of, OK, the Vikings offense looks so much better on Monday Night Football, but it is the Saints defense. And even though they are healthier, there's a lot of new faces. Uh, you know, I think they have a lot more talent than they've had in the past, but there's so many new faces. You're trying to get people back from injury and get them back to playing 100%. And But even so, what did you see from Sam Bradford in this game that was different than what he's shown you in the past? Um, I think that he's doing a better job kind of managing the pocket. You know, I mean, we talk about him as a game manager a lot, but a lot of that uh, has to do with kind of figuring out, you know, what's happening around you in the chaos of the pocket. And he certainly wasn't perfect mm-hmm. at that, uh, you know, on Monday night uh, by any means. But I think he did a lot of uh, a lot better job. Uh, and that allowed him to feel or maybe be just a bit more aggressive, uh, you know, throwing down the field. Because he's always been an accurate deep passer, but he's also been a hesitant deep passer. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, for example, um, you know, no matter what sort of organization you use, Stats Inc., Pro Football Focus, Key and Faye's quarterback book, all three of them agreed that Sam Bradford was not only the most accurate deep passing quarterback last year, but he was also the least likely to pass deep, which is, you know, a very frustrating thing as a Vikings fan. <laughs> um, and he was, he was certainly much more willing to do that, and he showcased a lot of that accuracy. Uh, and, you know, that, that made the difference because those first two drives stalled in part uh, because of how conservative the offense was. And then the next drive was a three-play, 74-yard. All three passes were, were, were fairly special, honestly, yeah. and that, you know, kicked things off. He, I thought it was like one of the most, that drive was caught me completely off guard because I'm like you, I'm used to seeing him be hesitant down the field. First two drives again, seemed like an indication. It was kind of, it was very, it was very last year, like, uh, although they moved the ball a little bit more consistently, but, um, and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 he's making throws under pressure. And then it seemed like something clicked and I don't know, he was off and away. So, I mean, do you think it's the, it's the, the improved protection, not that this Vikings offensive line is going to be, you know, among the top five in the league at the end of the season, but this is a much improved group from the group that was out there last year, which was a straight-up liability. And this group, did you see some encouraging things from them when you went back over the tape from last week's game? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've got a piece. It's waiting. I'm waiting, waiting right now for it to be published. Uh, the editor's looking over it. But, you know, I review the offensive line, uh, and I think that there's a lot of encouraging things. I think that the results of their play were really good. I mean, Bradford wasn't under pressure that often, I think. Uh, you know, PFF again had him at you know six dropbacks under pressure. One of them turned into a sack, and you know that's a really good rate. It's it's actually 
right below Ben Roethlisberger for the week. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that is, is that's like one of the encouraging things that leads to, you know, him being able to, to take shots downfield. I will say that I think there's a difference between kind of the results of their play and their performance as individual players. I thought that they gave up a lot of near misses. Uh, and I think that, you know, against maybe uh, some quicker players or, or mm-hmm. players with a little bit more flexibility or bend around the edge, you know, that the same plays that didn't turn into turn into pressures against like Alex Okafor uh, could definitely turn into pressures, uh, you know, against, you know, other kinds of edge rushers. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I'm kind of worried about going forward. But, you know, all of these concerns and I can list a ton of concerns. I can, you know, list a bunch of plays that um, that I think, you know, Nick Easton in particular, Pat Elflin you know, didn't play well, all of those concerns aside, it's still a much better offensive line unit from last mm-hmm. year, both as run blockers and pass protectors. Uh, and if they finish the year as a below average line, which is kind of what it looked like after doing the film review, you know, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I don't think Vikings fans have had <laughs> a merely below average line for a long time. <laughs> so somewhere in that 15 to 20 range is acceptable. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, you've mentioned it a couple times, so I'll go ahead and, and just promote this now. But the Locked On Podcast Network, we're doing a a uh, promotion with the Pro Football Focus right now that is it's really cool for you guys if, if you can check it out. All that is required, and you've heard already, or you've used a couple different stats from Pro Football Focus, and you, you get an idea how valuable it would be to have one of these subscriptions, specifically their Edge subscription, uh, where you get a lot of cool stats, players' grades, and things of that nature, positional rankings, lots of fantasy information, um, player pages, team pages, NFL draft coverage. I love their NFL draft guide where you can go through and look at different stats and things like that. So all you guys have to do to enter a chance to win one of these things and get access to this kind of information which is a $40 value typically through Pro Football Focus. All you have to do right now, go to iTunes, leave a review for the podcast, include your Twitter handle in the review. You can say that I suck, whatever it might be, but you just leave a review and and include your Twitter handle and you will be entered to potentially win. Um, We're going to choose a random winner uh, from the people that left reviews. Uh, There's going to be one winner uh, per show, um, so uh, per show per week. So make sure you guys jump in and try and sign up for that. And because it really is, I use it all the time. Uh, you know, I don't even. I've said before, I don't even agree with all the player grades at Pro Football Focus, but I love the statistics and the things that they keep track of and some of the metrics they use and uh, things of that nature. And I know Arif, you're a big Pro Football Focus guy as well. So make sure you guys check that out. Just leave a quick review and put your Twitter handle in there, and uh, we should be good to go. So. How much does Dalvin Cook change things for Minnesota? If I mean, th- there was not a really legitimate bell cow type threat out of the backfield. And you could see in week one, this kid has the potential to be special, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think if it wasn't for just how amazing Kareem Hunt's day was, I don't want to take anything away from that. You know, I think yes. Dalvin Cook would be, you know, uh, you know, a front runner for the discussion uh, for, you know, what this young class of, of rookie running backs is. I mean, if you can be the talented or second most talented back in this, you know, class of running backs, you know, you're in a really good spot. And it looks like he's, you know, clearly on his way to do that. And what I really liked about him is he demonstrated a variety of ways to get extra yards. It wasn't, you know, he was good at bouncing outside and had a bunch of speed. He was, but, you know, that's not the only thing. You know, he did a really good job uh, in some plays displaying patience, some other plays. Uh, finding creases that, you know, looked smaller, but, you know, weren't occupied by a linebacker at the second level, kind of like an advanced uh, decision-making, you know, piece from from a running back. He even pressed the lane, you know, a couple of times. It's really difficult to get rookie running backs to to just be that patient, to do stuff like that. Uh, And then the thing that I think really I really enjoyed is because we knew he had all of those things coming out of Florida State. 
Um, the thing I really enjoyed was his ability to push through contact and create extra yards. Uh, he had a run that was blocked for essentially just two yards. He got met, uh, you know, at two yards after the line of scrimmage, and he just drove through a pile of people to get six yards. And this is a guy that, you know, you don't really expect to see that out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, w- it was really nice to see. So I think that, you know, he can be a bit of a home run threat. It was unfortunate he didn't get a touchdown on either of those two big runs. Um, but he also has the ability to just grind it out uh, and move down the middle. Any talk so far in Minnesota of the Vikings having their own big three with Stefan Diggs and Bradford and Dalvin Cook? Or are we a little early for that? I think I think we're a little early, but I don't think we're that far either. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the I, I don't know if anyone's going to top you know sort of the big three discussions we've seen in, in Dallas and Pittsburgh, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's you know, it's not bad mm-hmm. uh, to to have to have this kind of uh, to have this kind of setup. You don't really think of the Vikings at least since 2009 is having Mm -hmm. a a dynamic offense. And so having, you know, enough players that can be a dynamic offense, kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. As you look at this Vikings roster right now, I know we're only one weekend, but we've seen the preseason games. You've seen some other things too. You mean, obviously camp and practices and so on and so forth. What's one or two areas of concern for you as you move forward? It seems like the hype around them flying high, really good first performance. There's a lot of hope that they could be one of the better teams in the NFC. I think what's your biggest concerns as you look at the roster? Um, I'm, I'm still a little bit concerned about offensive line depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's a persistent bug throughout the league, but I think it's a particular one for the Vikings who've had dealt with a lot of, uh, offensive line injuries the past couple of years, uh, and have been exposed for it. Um, I'm not super happy with, with what they have at depth and I'm not really sure what they could have done that much in the off season to address it besides maybe like not cutting Alex Boone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I guess that, you know, that's, that's a thing. That was surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, I was shocked. I didn't really, was didn't it, is it him all. in the locker room or his personality? I know that sometimes that can be off putting to people, but it seemed like he was clearly better than Nick Easton, right? That, that was my thought. A lot of people disagreed with me. So clearly like there's some room for discussion there, but you know, I thought, you know, Hey, Alex Boone had a pretty bad first preseason game, missed the second preseason game where Easton played all right. Then in the third preseason game, I thought Boone was all right, and Easton had just this awful mm-hmm. performance against the 49ers. Um, but I think that there's definitely some element of uh, locker room or, or something, some off-field thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be like, an, like a crime or anything like that. But, you know, <laughs> something that isn't entirely dependent on his on-field play. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that played a role. And, you know, he isn't playing like a $6.5 million offensive guard. I mean, that's sure. true. Um, I, would I take the three and a half million roster hit to cut him because of that? No, but right. like, <laughs> you know, if, if there is some like concern about being disruptive in the locker room and stuff like that, then yeah, that, that's, that, that makes sense as a move. But mm-hmm. I think just based off of what I saw, it didn't make a ton of sense. And sure. now depth is, is certainly an issue along, along the offensive line. Besides that, I really don't know, um, just to isolate another area of concern, I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, at the cornerback spots that are not Xavier Rhodes. I, I don't think yeah. Trey Wayne's played particularly well um, and hasn't played particularly well for the right. Vikings. It feels like people are talking about him always in, in, in terms of like these these future uh, like outcomes, like the potential that he has. And they never really talk mm-hmm. about how much of a liability he's on the field right now. And he's Which like, is fine if you're a rookie, but it was okay in 2015. Right. Now it's not okay right. anymore. Yeah, it's it's been a bit. Right. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And he was a liability on the field. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander was a huge liability last year. I thought he played all right, but he was, you know, so bad in the preseason that you're like mm-hmm. worried that you know the play from last year is going to carry over. That's clearly not a resolved question. The Vikings got Tremaine Brock over. I don't know how he's going to fit in. 
he's probably going to end up starting at one of those two spots. Uh, and then Terrence Newman, I think, has dropped off pretty significantly, too. He's not mm-hmm. the person he was last year, and age is clearly playing a role in that. So I don't really know what's going to happen in the secondary. Um, the defense, otherwise, is just really rock solid at yeah. every level, but it's those, those two cornerback spots worry me. Sharif Floyd, obviously terrible injury, you know, hit with his career in jeopardy. Um, you look at this defensive line, Tom Johnson was playing run defense. I was shocked by that. I know that hasn't been his mm-hmm. calling card necessarily in the past. Jaleel Johnson inactive. Is that just a Vikings rookie thing that they always do? Is he played pretty well from what I've seen he has? But I'm curious if you've seen, does he played pretty well? And do you expect him to be activated soon and playing a key role in that defensive line? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe there was some sort of game plan specific things. I mean, we know that the Saints like to spread it out a little mm-hmm. bit more. And, you know, in a little bit more space, maybe you trust someone like Tom Johnson to shoot the gap. You know, I, I can I can believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think against uh, the Steelers, and in particular with uh, with a patient running back like Le'Veon Bell, you want someone who's going to sort of hold anchor at yeah. both defensive tackle spots. Linval Joseph, obviously, one of them. Julio Johnson, to me, makes a ton of sense to play right away. I wouldn't be surprised if also it has to do with the fact that they actually hadn't played him at three technique until late in the preseason. They didn't play him that much at three technique in, you know, rookie minicamp at OTAs and in, in training camp. He's playing nose tackle, which I thought I understand, like physically why he's a fit, but he's a, mm-hmm. clearly a very good three technique in Iowa. Uh, and so um, when he finally got to play three technique and kind of let it loose, he was really good in the preseason. So I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, they're just evaluating that a little bit more. They know what they have sure. in Tom Johnson. Um, but, yeah, I think for matchup purposes, I think it makes a lot more sense uh, against the Steelers uh, to do that. And it's not like he can't rush the passer. He's pretty good at sure. that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Tom Johnson is just super slippery and, and can take advantage of the space afforded by, you know, the, the Saints offense. Looking at this Vikings defense, I mean, <laughs> this is – this is one of the best defenses in the league because for several reasons because I think they're also at the at the key positions having a lockdown corner having a safety a versatile safety having a multiple edge rushers that can get to the quarterback this is a dynamic group if you had to pick one player from this group as the best one on this Vikings defense who do you think you would take if you were starting a team I'd have to pick between Harrison Smith and Linval Joseph and I think mm-hmm. that from a talent perspective, it's probably Harrison Smith. Mm-hmm. I think from a team-building perspective, it's always difficult to build a team around a safety. Um, and so I might do it around Linval Joseph. And I know that like there's a ton of pro bowlers on that. I think five yeah. of them went to the pro bowl. And, I don't, and Linval, I think, was an alternate to the pro bowl last year, whereas uh, you know some of them weren't. Um, but I think that Linval is a super underrated player. Uh, and I think that at his position, he's better than you know Xavier Rhodes is at his position, that Everson Griffin is at his position. Um, and yeah, Eric Hendricks or, or good version of Anthony Barr at his position, you know, all of those. I think that, you know, he's one of the best nose tackles, if not the best nose tackle in the league, certainly in the conversation for the top three. And you can design a defense around somebody who can do the kinds of things that he does. Uh, and so he, I think, was kind of the key to a lot of the a lot of the Saints victories uh, or a lot of the victories against the Saints, um, because uh, y- you don't you didn't see a particular standout defender in that game. You saw, you know, particular standout plays from Eric Hendricks and Harrison Smith. I think a lot of that has to do with just kind of how a good nose tackle like him can free up everybody to do everything. Uh, and, and he's just been so important to the defense over the past couple mm-hmm. of years for that. I know Xavier Rhodes has shadowed number one receivers before and did a lot last season. Do you think he will be matched up with Antonio Brown throughout the entirety of this game? The Vikings, is that the only way they're going to feel comfortable? And if so, does it concern you, the other Steelers receivers, on those question marks you listed for the Viking cornerback spots? 
Yeah, like, I think Antonio Brown is a really good matchup for Xavier Rhodes, which conversely means I think Xavier Rhodes is a poor matchup for Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, just stylistically, just those kinds of receivers are not, mm-hmm. um, you know, the kinds of receivers that Xavier Rhodes has done historically a better job of shutting down. I mean, he did a good job against Odell Beckham, of course, so maybe, you know, uh, he can turn the corner. But, you know, I, I remember some of his games against players like Julian Edelman and stuff like that that, you know, kind of concern me. It's just those quicker receivers um, who have the ability to use, you know, route mechanics and, and subtlety a little bit more than, than win with physicality. I'm always a little bit concerned, but I think you have to because I certainly don't trust, uh, you know, Trey Waynes against Antonio Brown or Mackenzie Alexander against Antonio Brown, and he's my primary concern. I mean, yeah, Martavis Bryant is, is certainly, a, you know, a big threat, and I know that he's improved a lot technically as a receiver too, so he's not just a, a, a physical freak, but... Um, honestly, just from a matchup perspective, Trey Waynes and, and Martavis Bryant do fit a lot better. Right. Um, Trey Waynes can can match him so long as you know he's in his in his game. He can match him, you know, stride for stride downfield. Uh, and uh, and you know, there's some concerns about you know what happens when when Bryant runs in breaking routes and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's a better matchup. So I wouldn't be surprised if you just had Xavier Rhodes uh, matchup against Antonio Brown simply because it creates better matchups for all of the other cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you? And what about in the slot? That's my other question. For I don't know if we even know that at this point, but do you think Xavier Rhodes would cover Antonio Brown even if he were in the slot? Is that how the Vikings tend to run things? Uh, for the like, I think the last half season they did. Okay. He finally started following people into the slot. Okay. Um, and I found that kind of surprising, just because last season he was Captain Munderland. He's pretty good mm-hmm. in the slot. And, you right. know, it wasn't that big a concern. This season, I think you almost have to just because of. The uncertainty. Sure. It's like you know, there's three different players that could be playing at the slot next week. I have no idea. Is it going to be Trey and Brock, Terrence Newman, Mackenzie Alexander? Who knows, right? And if you don't know as a Vikings defense, and then you know the best receiver uh, maybe in the NFL <laughs> is playing in the slot. I don't know, like yeah. you're going to throw out your experimental whoever. <laughs> I think you kind of have to. Um, yeah. and, and they have had some experience. Uh, you know, moving Xavier into the slot in those situations. That'll be interesting because the Steelers do tend to run him all over the field. I mean, he'll line up in the slot, he'll line up everywhere uh, to try and get him those advantageous kind of matchups and, and things of that nature. So if Rhodes is trailing him everywhere, that that should, that should create a fun dynamic throughout the game to be able to analyze them in, in all situations. Um, but you mentioned it, this Vikings defense, uh, obviously a fantastic group. You've got Two of the best edge rushers in the league on this defense, I think. I, I won't. I hesitate to say maybe top ten, but I would, I would think both are in the top ten to fifteen range of edge rushers across the league. Obviously, with with especially with Miles Garrett hurt, Cleveland didn't offer that, and because of that, Pittsburgh was able to keep Ben Roethlisberger relatively clean. I know you don't study Pittsburgh closely, but you're aware of their offensive line and the reputation that it has, one of the better ones in the league. Do you see this as the matchup to watch in this game, and do you think the Vikings are going to be able to create enough pressure to rattle Ben Roethlisberger? Uh, it's going to be a super interesting matchup, um, and one of the concerns I have is that once you get past the offensive tackles, you still have to take you know Ben Roethlisberger down. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that yeah, I'm pretty confident in them just because mm-hmm. the defensive line overall, if it wasn't for, you know, Seattle trading for Sheldon Richardson, I would say the Vikings have the best defensive line in the league sure. uh, and they've got a lot of depth to back it up. I mean, Brian Robison is still a starting quality defensive end. You know, he's the primary backup at defensive end. We all saw what Tishon Bauer did in the preseason, um, maybe the best preseason edge rusher. Um, you know, not that that's enormously important, but it's pretty good for a fourth defensive end. And I really like what they have a defensive tackle, of course. I've talked about that for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, they'll be able to provide pressure and in a lot of, you know, interesting ways. I mean, Zimmer's kind of known for crafting 
um, these blitz packages that are notoriously difficult to block even after you've diagnosed what they are. Uh, and so, um, you know, they'll take advantage of, uh, of space created by, by these concepts. You know, even if you have, you know, an all-pro center like Pouncey um, and, and you've got, you know, a really good left tackle, I think that you can create confusion and, and, and take advantage of extra space. And so it's not even, you know, the amount of talent that they have sometimes. It's just the, uh, you know, kind of way that you design these pressure packages. And right. then, of course, on top of that, you add a lot of talent. And I think that, you know, you know, the, I think the Steelers' offensive line. You know, when when we talk about like really good offensive lines in the league, I think the Steelers kind of get. I'm not, I'm not going to say shafted, but they kind of get mm -hmm. ignored, right? Because we mm -hmm. really only talk about Oakland and Dallas, right? And uh, and and the Steelers have really good pass protection, and it's going to be really exciting to see kind of what happens in that matchup. But I think the Vikings will give them a run for their money. Yeah, should be one of the matchups to watch. Last question for you, Reef. If you had to take one, given the Vikings' current roster, if you had to take one guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers and put him on the Minnesota Vikings, plug him in, play him right away, who would it be? Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, not a huge fan of Artie Burns. Otherwise, I'd maybe <laughs> take a corner. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Sorry we can't help you there. I don't. <laughs> that's probably the Steelers' biggest weakness, too. <laughs> Uh, let's see. You know, it would have been so easy to pick an offensive lineman. Uh, how do you feel about Marcus Gilbert? I don't know. Yeah, he's he's the real deal. He's he's uh, a top three right tackle in the league, I would say. And then I'm taking him. Yeah, that's that's probably who I would have pegged too. I was I was looking across the board. I was like, man, I mean, it never hurts to have Antonio Brown, but you already have Diggs and you have you know Thielen and pretty good receivers. But I always thought that's an interest. Like, who would you take from another team if you could take one guy? I know the Tomlin gets asked that a lot. Um, in, in like pregame uh, meetings with the media and things of that nature. So uh, always made it interesting. Every week going in, I look at the other roster and I'm like, hmm, who would I want if I could take one guy? But yeah, there's there's a ton of talent on both of these rosters. And I think that we could see both of these teams make potentially, if they stay healthy, potentially deep playoff runs. I'm not going to say Super Bowl preview, but I think it's a high. It, this is a good matchup to be able to determine if it's close, both teams for real. If it's not, okay, one team might have legitimate concerns. Would you generally probably agree with that consensus? Yeah, I think so. I think this is a um, maybe a reputation-setting matchup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where you get both teams kind of feeling each other out but also being able to establish, hopefully, dominance in one area of the game. Uh, it should be a great matchup. Arif, thanks so much for joining. You can guys can make sure that you follow Arif on Twitter at a-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L. Make sure you guys give him a follow and check out his great work. Always awesome talking to you, man. Great having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll be back early next week. We'll break down the matchup, guys. We'll go in depth on it. We'll have snap reactions early Monday morning and then look at the All-22, break it down, talk about what else we gleaned from the matchup. And, and it should be a fun one to talk about. This is this is one to watch, I think. The Steelers don't have a super tough schedule to start the season before the bye week coming up uh, but I think that this is is one to keep an eye on for sure so uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next week uh, make sure you guys keep stay tuned in and as always keep it locked right here on Locked on Steelers is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Analyst.